Broadcasting from the ESPN Radio Studios in Tallahassee, Florida. And in partnership with the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast with Tom Lang. In case you needed further proof that the year is 2020, a five-overtime thriller would be that proof. This is the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast, part of the JoeBucksFan.com podcasting network, brought to you all postseason long by our friends at Bill Curry Ford. Is it game day already? My God, I feel like we just finished. But indeed, it is time for another 3 o'clock puck drop for game two of the best of seven between Tampa Bay and Columbus. The ratings, well, they don't like us very much. I understand that uh, we peaked at 1.7 million viewers in our fifth overtime on Tuesday night, but NBC Sports, if they had their druthers, they'd stuff us in the afternoon, and so that's what they do again today. Three o'clock puck drop. Expect that again down the line if everybody is playing into game six and game seven. Um, We play 7.30 on Saturday night, but back to 3 p.m. on Monday. So hopefully you're working from home and you can start your day early and end it early or whatever. For me, I got lucky on Tuesday. My day job here at ESPN Radio Tallahassee, uh, we had a panel show on from 3 to 7 p.m., so my normal afternoon drive shift was uh, it was open. I started early and I finished early, so I was able to watch every painstaking moment of the five-overtime thriller. I was glued to the couch for the better part of six and a half hours, and while the fans are not in the stands and you don't hear uh, you know, Amelie Arena going nuts with Let's Go Lightning Chance or Let's Go Bolts or Thunder Sticks or Noise-Making Devices. Every time we had a two-on-one going the right way or a three-on-two coming out against us, my heart's in my throat. My stomach is in my throat. My organs are not where they're supposed to be. I'm not able to breathe. <laughs> so the adrenaline, at least from afar, as distant thunder, it feels the same to me, even if there isn't that extra bit of electricity in the air. The hard thing about a five-overtime game is is breaking it down, you know, blow by blow, period by period, it can't be done. It simply can't be done. I don't think you'd want me to talk about the third overtime and how, you know, we carried the play instead of the second overtime. What is that? You can't even put that game really on NHL Network for a classic game, even though we'll all remember where we were when we watched a six-hour hockey game in which a lot of players skated for nearly or above 60 minutes a full hour of playing that ridiculously difficult sport. We'll remember where we were, but you can't put that on a classic game because you know if it goes to five overtimes, four of them produce nothing except for a couple of mad scrambles. So instead, the breakdown today is going to be backwards. It's going to be a great bolt breakdown. I'm going to assess overall performances across the eight different periods in which we played. I have to largely ignore the Philly game too because we're in the middle of a best of seven now. So what we came out flat, looking like crap, again, out of nowhere. We're in the best of seven, and we played within our structure. So in that spirit, right out the gate, within four minutes of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast, we're going to do a great bold breakdown. I'm going to look at the numerical participation report from Tuesday's Game 1, and we'll go player by player because we got to get you set for Game 2. And then we'll go to break. We'll talk about some of the longer trends. Uh, what I'm looking for over the next week, what to look for as some guys are playing well, some guys are playing crappy, and Columbus, you know, they're trying too. What do we see from Columbus? So, without further ado, the Great Bull Breakdown with some rambling man. 
Because that's what I do on the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. I ramble. Numerical order. I'm going to skip a couple of guys because they didn't play very well. We'll talk about them in segment two. You'll know them when I skip them. Tyler Johnson. He wears number nine, so he goes first. Tyler Johnson is playing really good hockey. His legs look fresh. He looks engaged. I think at times Tyler shuts it down a little bit past couple of years because he's been jumbled, you know, first-line guy for a couple of weeks, then they throw him down with the third line, sometimes even with a fourth line when you're playing seven defensemen. I mean, Tyler's been all over the place. He has not found a consistent home, so I can understand that if sometimes that, that eats at him, but he looks great. He's on the line with Killer and Sorelli. That's been good for us, and and he's skating well. I thought, honestly, I, I sent it to Butcher Grouse for the John Butcher Grouse Overtime Challenge that Tyler was going to score. He looked like he was the one who was primed to do so, and in fact, one of the shots in overtime uh, that was a near miss, it hit uh, it hit the goaltender's stick, the shaft of his stick. Tyler let one rip. He's playing really well. Seti Paquette, solid, solid fourth-line player. He's not the liability he was a couple of years ago. That trend continues. Um, in the dot, inconsistent, but he can still win you some big face-offs. Pat Maroon looks fresh. He's a fourth-liner. He's a glue guy. And sometimes he'll deliver those board-rocking hits. We don't have a lot of guys who can do that, but Pat Maroon is certainly one of those. Alex Kalorin looks fresh. Another guy who you know probably deserved better in this game. I thought he might score. Uh, he's part of a really gritty and, and good line that sticks within its structure. Andre Palat, well, Andre is um, the unsung hero of the top line. And that's been the story of his career. He's been a top six forward his whole time uh, with Tampa. And he looks very much like Steady Eddie, responsible in the defensive zone. Had one chance that he, a glorious chance he missed on in one of the overtimes. But he is, uh, he's certainly not the problem on the top line. Barclay Goodrow, apology point number one. It's Barclay's running down of the puck, his dogged pursuit of the puck, like we talked about, the heavy game, right? That led to Yanni Gord's goal. If not for canceling out the icing, we don't score. We don't tie the game 2-2 early in the third period. And moreover, while that's one individual effort, Barclay looks like he's finding his game. And he looks like he's found a home with Yanni and Blake Coleman. Which brings me to Blake Coleman. Everything but a goal for Blake. Just need to break the ice, quite literally, on the score sheet. Score a goal, Blake, because I think if you do, they're going to come in twos and threes. He looks great. That line is very much what we're about right now as a hockey club. Braden Point, couple of goals. Braden Point, the most important goal. Looking like a little leaguer who hit his first home run, he doesn't know where to go. Forgot that first base is right out that way, 90 feet. Awesome, awesome moment. Nikita Kucherov nearly took off somebody's face. Puck comes loose. It's on edge. Braden Point lets a rip, and it is upper 90, as they say in soccer. Game over. Kevin Shattenkirk, who has been a liability, played 42 minutes in game one. 42 minutes and looked okay. Better than I expected. There were some shifts where you go, oh, God, we've got 22 on an island out there. He's been out there for 40 seconds. So let's just clear it down. But he played okay. Zach Bogosian, apology part two. Bogosian, I thought, was phenomenal in game one. I thought he played. It's his first crack at postseason hockey. He played 44-28. Largely minutes with Victor Hedman. I thought he was outstanding. Got the puck to the net, made responsible plays defensively. If he could make a six-foot pass instead of a 40-foot clear, he made the six-foot pass. Played with composure, played with physicality, and pinched when he needed to. Bogosian was great. 
Ryan McDonough was falling all over himself in this game. He records an assist. He had a point-blank chance at, I think it was the end of overtime three. Decided to try and pass it into the net to Anthony Sorelli. He had moments where he looked like last year's Ryan McDonough. Last year in the postseason series against Columbus where he was, he's finding a mistake where there was not one. But, I mean, he played 53 minutes. And I think for the bulk of those 53 minutes, he looked okay. Yanni Gord. Apology Part 3. Now, Yanni has a special talent for finding the puck within his grasp within a couple inches of the goal line and not being able to finish. That goal wasn't exactly, uh, um, you know, just a wicked wrister from 20 feet away between the circles. It was a lucky one. But my hope for Yanni Gord is that this goal is, is hockey's way of saying sorry about Game 7 against Washington a couple of years ago where in a very similar situation, the puck is basically resting on the goal line and he can't cash it in. So maybe this one, off of a goaltender's leg pad, is uh, is the way the hockey gods saying, all right, all right, justice is balance. Corpusalo, he played a great game, but it's your turn, Yanni Gord. Mitchell Stevens, uh, he played the second fewest minutes of anybody, 24-02. I thought he was solid 40% in the face-off circle. He's a great fourth-line piece right now. I think he develops into something more down the line, but with Stamkos out, keep drawing in, keep playing well, Mitchell Stevens. Tony Sorelli. I got a theory on Tony C. I don't think he's 100%. My secondary theory, and this is not inside information that I'm trying to just sheepishly leak, um, I think he might have gotten dinged up in the Washington game. He just doesn't have the burst. He shows signs here and there where, you know, maybe every fifth shift he can get up to something close to his top speed, but it's still not the same. And he looks a little tentative on his skates. Um, I don't think it's any fault of his. I don't think it's an effort issue. I just think that Tony C doesn't look 100%. And hopefully this is something that he can manage and play through and, and find a way back to normal speed. But I'm watching 71 very, very closely when that line's on the ice. He just, he seems timid. And that's not what Anthony Sorelli is all about typically. Victor Hedman. 57-38. I know he's number 77, but 57-38 is the amount of ice time he logged, and we thought for a good period of time, Saturday night into Sunday, that it was not going to be a playoff series that included Victor Hedman. And yet he plays the most minutes on the team of all skaters. I'll tell you a little bit more about Victor uh, in a little bit, but he looked a little bit uneasy to start testing certain motions and I think he's clearly protecting something he's not 100% because he's not on your first power play unit he's on the second power play unit where you play with two defensemen he would be running the point if he was 100% so he's playing through something but he said he felt really good let's see in game two today if he rolls back out there and replaces Mikhail Sergachev on PP1 Eric Chernak solid the too many men thing was a killer he was okay Second pair, not much more to say. I'm going to skip over somebody. Sergachev. Mikhail Sergachev, this is not an apology part four. This is the Joe Bolts fan bump. Mikhail had been caught in between playing like, as we say up here on the Jeff Cameron Show, hashtag a-hole. <laughs> but his back checking in this game, there were three or four examples where Mikhail had the back post covered, saved a goal. There were more examples of Mikhail getting his stick in the shooting lane, not giving up on a play, pursuing the puck, back-checking. He looks like he's rounding into form. I hope this is a launching point for him.
because you need somebody with a steady hand to play next to Kevin Shattenkirk. And Sergachev made three or four plays at minimum in this game that saved at least a point-blank scoring chance, if not an outright goal. Finally, Andre Vasilevsky. Wow. 63 shots against, only two goals against. And he made a lot of big saves. And this was not one of those typical stand-on-your-head games for Vasi because you're playing more than seven complete periods of hockey. So while that shot total sounds like a lot, it really isn't. And there were long stretches of play where Vasi didn't see any action whatsoever. So in order to stay mentally sharp, you have to be there. You have to be at your peak. And Andre Vasilevsky was most certainly at his peak. He is an unheralded star of the game in game one and hopefully another launching point for our goaltender this time. Maybe this is something that puts him in that zone because when Andre goes in that zone, look out. The larger storylines about what we saw in game one, a problematic player that I didn't mention in the Great Bolt Breakdown. That and more, the next segment of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Bill Curry Ford, General Manager Sean Sullivan, will help you personally by phone, email, or in person at their giant showroom on Dale Mabry Highway, one mile north of Raymond James Stadium. That's the kind of service you get from Bill Curry Ford, Tampa's first family of Ford, and owned by the Curry family for the past 60 years. Shop now at BillCurryFord.com, and you'll see the incredible 0% financing offers for 72 months and the signature nationwide lifetime warranty on new and used vehicles. For more information, Head to BillCurryFord.com and thank them for supporting the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Now, it's time for segment two. Oakley Doakley, neighbors. Edition one of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. We talked about how, you know, things got better after Christmas break. Edition two of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. We talked about how the heavy game is here. The Lightning's heavy game, which is pursuit of the puck. Forechecking that doesn't allow you to get out of your own zone and, and into our defensive zone easily. Well, that structure was tested in game one. And your habits are tested when you play more than two hockey games and they only count for one. And Tampa passed with flying colors. I, You know, if you want to break it down between regulation and then put the overtimes all in their own category... I was texting with a lot of my Lightning friends between the first and second periods and saying, look, Columbus knows what they are. This is John Tortorella's dream team in a way because he hates stars. He hates stars. His ego's too big for stars. So he likes coaching up the little guy, the underdog, to be one in a, in a cog or one cog in a wheel, right? One of 18 that will be greater than the sum of its parts when it's all put together nicely and neatly. That's what Tortorella loves. And that's what Columbus is. And nobody's got an ego too big to play the system that Columbus needs you to play, which is block shots, contest everything, basically have four dudes sprawling out in front of the goalie, and then counterattack where you can and wear a team down with a little bit of grit. So Columbus has an identity formed, and it's in stone. Tampa Bay this year has been trying to change its identity from one of skill and finesse with a little bit of grit once in a while when we feel like it to a team that's going to dump and chase to a team that's going to cycle along the boards 
to a team that's going to play you tough and nasty after the whistle. And I thought between the first couple of intermissions, it looked like we were searching for our voice in a sense, whereas Columbus had theirs all long established. But by the time you get to the end of the game, we had every excuse to break the new habits and revert to the old, and we didn't. That was literally a game of chicken between two teams playing staunch defensive hockey, conservative hockey, grind-you-down hockey. And for us to come out of that game with the storyline being that we have accepted those principles, I think is a huge feather in our cap, and it gives us a chance. It gives us a real chance to win in multiple ways. Now, I don't know how much energy either of these teams are going to have today at 3 o'clock. One would think that Columbus would have the weaker legs, given that essentially with all the overtimes, they're playing eight games in eight days, whereas we've had a little bit more of a break. But again, I, I I fully expected at some point in the overtime for us to get a little bit careless with the puck and take chances, but we didn't. We stayed the course. The message has been received. Now, the question with us is consistency of that effort, and here's where I get into the negative. Nikita Kucherov was our worst skater in game one. Bar none. He was our worst skater offensively and defensively, and you know why? Body language, effort, consistency of effort, none of it was good. None of it was good. Oh, sure, there'd be a play here and there where he back-checked and and, and made a good defensive play getting in a passing zone, or a passing lane, I should say. But he didn't do it with great effort, and consistency throughout the game. And this is independent of being tired. If you look at his body language, he went for a skate on so many shifts that I'm wondering, is something wrong with him? We're getting into overtime one, overtime two, and I'm saying, you know, don't we have skilled players? The one advantage, the one luxury of being Tampa is that if you can play with grit, you also have some top-end skill players who can give you more than a three-on-two once every couple of overtimes you got guys who can go make plays once you establish possession of the puck and once you grind somebody down for 20, 30 seconds in their own defensive zone, they get tired, they turtle, and you're able to cycle and make some plays. Nikita looked awful. He looked disengaged. I don't know if the way we're playing right now is just a style that he doesn't want to be a part of, but he's got to get that together. You're making too much damn money, and you're too good. You're too good of a player. It's weird because a lot of what Nikita does in the offensive zone is selfless. He's not looking to score 65 goals a year like Ovi. He's not going to take 10 shots a game. He wants to make everybody else better when we're playing offensive hockey, when we're on the power play. He's more than willing to pass the damn puck, see the near penalty call against Victor Hedman before we score to win the game. He's selfless to a fault sometimes in the offensive zone. So to look selfish on the ice is just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know where his head was. And that's got to be infinitely frustrating to this coaching staff to see somebody who they know every once in a while is just going to be staring at the sky while everybody else is engaged in a process here. But if you look at the Tyler Johnsons or, or the Kalorns and Goodrows, Patrick Maroon, hell on his own line, Braden Point and Andre Pilat, these guys, you can see a marked difference in the effort between those players. You need your best guys to be your best guys because if we're willing to commit to making this style of hockey our our, our baseline, our foundational style of hockey, 
that means that we can win in multiple ways. If for whatever reason we play somebody like Philly down the line, let's just say we get out of the series for a moment, and this time next week, who knows what the series is going to look like with Columbus. But let's say we play somebody like Philly down the line, and you, and you have to win a 5-4 game. We can do that. If Toronto was still in the playoffs, we could do it. But it's supposed to be about winning in a lot of ways, and Nikita's got to be along, man. You know, they said in the NBC Sports broadcast in the fourth overtime, there aren't a lot of passengers tonight. And then I think it was Boucher who said there were no passengers tonight. I disagree. I think Kucherov was a passenger. I don't think there's any doubt that he was along for the ride in this game. And I don't care what the stat sheet says. He didn't play up to his standard. And I, I took some flack last week. I mean, flack. That's a little overblown. There was criticism last week about my comments on Vasilevsky. Saying that, you know, well, McElhaney would give up for a game. And, and DBS on, on the board, I love you, man, because you are clearly a loyal person to this show and, and you love the hockey talk. And for that, thank you so much. But, like, you know, when you're a Vesna winner and then you're a finalist the next year, your standard is so much higher. Your baseline of being judged as on your game or not is so much higher. And, and it's the same here. You know, if, if Pat Maroon looks like he's out in space for a couple of shifts, all right, well, it's not the end of the world because you're Pat Maroon. Is it a good thing? No, but is it going to be a lead topic in segment two of the Joe Boltz fan podcast? No. If it's Akita Kucherov, hell yeah, it's going to be because he needs to be the difference. That's why he's. That's why he counts for so much against the cap. So not overblowing it uh, because he could turn around and score two today and look completely engaged. Nikita is up and down like that, but it's just when you play that many periods, you'd think at some point – at some point, the ghost-like one is going to appear, and he nearly lost us the game with a turnover on the power play. It would have been, in a way, a fitting end to his effort in game one. So hopefully we see a bounce back from 86. Uh, larger talking points in this series, I'll give you a couple things to look for today. Um, Seth Jones, his ice time. So Seth set a new NHL record for ice time. He played, let's see, 60 what? He played 65 minutes and six seconds. It's the longest anybody's been on the ice for a playoff game since the NHL started tracking these things. Sergei Zubov was uh, the former record holder. Let's see how much he can go today. Can he give you another 30? Because that's his baseline. Um, Corpusalo's rebound control is, is really uneven. Remember how last week I talked about Andre Vasilevsky, the scouting report is out. Let it go from 35 feet, 40 feet away and see what happens. Well, that times a 1,000 for Corpusalo. The one criticism I'd have about our offensive game plan, which was 95% positive, uh, just create more traffic in front of the net. No blow buys around the blue paint. You know, set up camp in front of Corpusalo because he's giving a lot of rebounds, and a lot of times you'd see some of our players just skate by the net as uh, they were, you know, finding their position along the boards or whatever. But if it goes back and we're going D to D pass, get out in front of there because... Corpusalo, for as many saves as he made, some of them were lucky, and he gave up a lot of juicy rebounds that we weren't there to cash in on. So hopefully we're a little bit more present in front of the net. But then also, you, you've got to have your finger on the pulse of this team for period by period when it comes to effort level and complacency. The effort against Philadelphia was garbage. This is before Hedman got hurt. It's before he got hurt. We came out, we looked like we were completely disinterested, and I just don't get that about us. So let's see if we're invested again. Monday or Tuesday was a really, really good sign. Game one was a really good sign, but do we continue down that road? Uh, a couple of things. I'll speak in generalities. 
uh, Hedman and everybody around the Lightning camp, they were fearing the worst on Saturday night. Uh, and then they decided, all right, we'll, we'll let him skate because it looks like he's able to at least skate and test it. And if that goes well, he's going to play. And so, I don't know, Sunday, Monday-ish, the team knew that this is going to be something that he's going to go for. And we'll see how much he can play, but he's going to suit up, which was great news. Um, the Stamkos thing is a big concern now. Uh, I, I don't know what the hell happened in the last couple of weeks, but it's gone from he should be progressing just fine. We've got a plan for the bubble. He'll be good to go to, well, he won't be ready for game one to, uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I don't know if that means all the playoffs. I don't know if that means a series and a half, but like John Cooper, uh, Cooper said last week, which is it's indefinite until it's not. That's the way they're looking at it. He's telling the truth. That's not gamesmanship. They don't know. They really don't. And then uh, Jan Ruda, who I hoped would draw in for Bogosian, unfit to play. I imagine you're going to hear that for a little while, a good long little while, that Jan Ruda is unfit to play. So this is the defensive core that you need uh, to make it happen. Sergachev and Shattenkirk are going to be together. Bogosian's going to be up with Hedman. If Zach plays like that again, we're not going to miss Jan Ruda all that much. Uh, we'll see what happens today on the first power play unit. Is Victor healthy enough to run the point there? It would be an upgrade. Sergachev was just out of sync with the top guys, so we'll see if, if Victor comes back. And then energy level. Let's let's see their energy level, their commitment today. 86, are you going to play better? Um, you know, Goodrow, Coleman, Yanni, keep doing what you do. You guys are the embodiment of what we're trying to be right now, so you keep doing it, guys. It is an interesting time to be a Bolts fan. I had a bit of a defeatist complex in in the overtimes because all these deflections are somehow hitting off, you know, a, a blocker pad, hitting off the shaft of a goal stick, hitting off of the post, and you're just thinking, oh my god, Corpusalo is is playing really well, but he's also getting really lucky, and here comes a triple deflector that's going to score on Vasilevsky or something from the boards, <laughs> like a prayer from the boards that goes right over his shoulder. But thankfully, we stayed the course, and we got the job done. It would have been a really dangerous feeling if Columbus won that game on short rest after five overtimes in a game in which we dominated them zone time for zone time. Enjoy the game today, everybody. We'll be on with you next week. We'll have a lot more to break down as this series goes Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. for game three. Monday, 3 p.m. for game four. We play Wednesday for game five. What will the series be at that point? Three, two bolts. Series over. Three, two jackets. I don't know. We shall find out all together. I hope you enjoy the game today. I hope you enjoyed this particular edition of the Joe Bolts Fan Podcast. Enjoy it, everybody, because who knows when the next season's going to start. Talk to you next time.